Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew tonight as we're breaking down all the news and notes from the all season. And it's funny because you know we've had two shows during this all season, and, and you know there's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's been a lot of stuff that's going on. Uh, we still don't know where some drivers are even going to be running next year. Uh, for example, Daniel Suarez is not 100% sure where he's going to go, although there's some indications it looks like more and more every day he's going to drive the 96 for Glump Brothers Racing, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, but the big news, of, uh, I think, of the entire offseason, Philip, was something that happened on Monday of last week on December 9th when it was announced that Cole Pern, the crew chief of the number 19 Monster Energy Cup Series Toyota, will be was stepping away from NASCAR indefinitely, effective immediately, and uh, will be moving, it sounds like he'll be moving to Canada, uh, but taking his family up there to his native land in Canada and just getting away from the sport entirely. Uh, Pern said basically that it, it's the it's the, the grind of this schedule, and you can certainly understand that from a crew chief standpoint. Uh, I think he wants to spend more time with his family. But, you know, it, it, to me, the bigger story here is the repercussions of this at Joe Gibbs Racing and the 19 team. You know, shortly after Pern announced that he – was retiring essentially from NASCAR. It came out that Joe Gibbs, that, excuse me, that Hendrick Motorsports made Cole Pern an extremely lucrative offer to join Jimmy Johnson and the 48 team before the 2019 season, and he decided to stay pat and go to uh, and stay at Joe Gibbs Racing after leaving the 78 car. Now, I only say that because it just shows you the kind of impact and the amount of respect Cole Pern had in that garage area, as far as a guy who could be crew chief and lead it, lead a team. Um, and, you know, listen, I think Martin Truex is a really good race car driver. I hope this doesn't come off as me quote unquote bashing him or saying something negative about Martin Truex because it shouldn't be, but Truex really had a nice career going, but he excelled into a superstar when Cole Pern became, became the crew chief there. And I think in the back of a lot of Martin Truex junior fans minds, Philip, they're wondering, can there be another guy who can replace Pern and maybe not do as good a job, but maybe be as close as they can possibly get now. Joe Gibbs is still a very good team. They still have a very deep roster here. But what are your thoughts on the Cole Pern and Martin Strix Jr. situation? I think uh, it's something that a lot of people were comparing to uh, the Everham and Jeff Gordon deal, which, you know, you kind of look at it and you say, well, they didn't have as much success as championship-wise, but they were that good, Philip. They were – I think Pern's a top-five crew chief in the garage area. What were your thoughts on the news that Pern left – uh, NASCAR entirely, and how it's going to affect Martin Truex Jr. here moving forward. I mean, it was it was a shock, uh, you know, considering how everything went uh, this year, the way they had built up in the second half of the season, uh, that Cole, you know, at this moment, at this time, decided to uh, move on. I mean, I, the reasons are completely valid and relevant. That, you know, young family, you know, wife, he's from Canada, the way that things have been. I think being in Colorado and being out of the spotlight, being away from everything, and I think the relative closeness, I think flights weren't so bad. I think there was more of an ability and flexibility when he was with Barney Visser and that whole group was out there to go and, you know, have a life still. I don't think it was easy no matter what. There's been all kinds of speculation. We've talked about it since it happened before this episode. I mean, talking the last week and all the different ideas, different pages, and we're both on and all the different stuff. I mean, the long story short, Martin Truex had two wins uh, before the start of the 2015 Cup Series uh, season. He won 24 races. with Cole Pern, I mean, granted, I don't know, he might have been suspended, whatever, one or two, but whatever. He had, he in, since the 2015 season, which is five years, he's won 24 races. And he's went from being, you know, nice guy, people like him, you know, June, June Bug's old friend, and, you know, won for a couple teams, to a borderline NASCAR Hall of Famer. Now, people will say, well, he would have probably made it eventually because of his Xfinity, Bush Series titles, but he won the 2017 Cup title, beating Gibbs, beating Kyle Busch uh, with their stuff, with Cole Pern. He was winning in, in, from 16 to 19 outside of the 18 car, the best
best car out there generally, or the four, the best car that's been out there is a 78 slash 19. And for Truex, I know it's got to, because he gets close. He's, I mean, he was with Bono Mannion for years. They were close friends. I know that had to be hard when that deal ended. Uh, you know, and then now with this, the way that his career and his life and the kind of things that they both went through over these past few years, um, it's been well documented with Martin and Jerry, all that. But for Truex as a driver, uh, this is huge. Um, I have my feelings about Gibbs. They've been well spoken about on this show. I'm going to continue to say them. I think it was just convenient that he ran Barney Visser out of business and then gets his crew chief and gets the driver in-house in the car that is basically the red-headed stepchild of Joe Gibbs Racing, gets the information they want, and then goes and says to Cole Pern, oh, yeah, you know, we'll give you the gardening like they do in Formula One. It's like, oh, we're going to pay you a lot of money, uh, and you can kind of walk away, kind of the way they did with Carl Edwards when they had to put Daniel Suarez in the car. Um, I think Cole Pern's a pretty sharp guy. I think Cole was really interested in the 48 car. Um, it would have been something to put a guy of his level and his ability with one of the greatest ever and to see what that would have been. And Hendrick, that would have been a huge get. He probably threw a lot of money. And that's when he started to think, okay, you know, um, it's getting kind of crazy. But I also think the way things are going with like the Gen 7 and the amount of time you have to be on the road and the way Gibbs runs and operates, he basically only cares about two cars at that organization. Um, and if you're not the 18 or the 11, you're really not going to get the full support that you need. And I think he also saw that. And he's like, well, he knows that MTJ is probably going to run out of that car in a couple of years. And MTJ will go to hunting or doing whatever he wants to do, and he'll be happy. But he didn't want to be part of watching the team kind of fall apart because they built that team together out in Colorado. And it's, I, I mean, it's sad because you think about the great crew chief of this sport, talked about Ray Evans earlier, you know, personal deals aside, you know, what he did outside of the sport. But you think about Ray Evernham, you think about the great Gary Nelson, you know, Dale Inman, uh, you know, the, the guys like Kirk Shelmerdine, who doesn't get enough credit. You know, these guys that won championships, you know, and Cole Pern came out of nowhere and took a team that was absolute trash the year before he showed up as the crew chief and got him into the final four. Uh, I remember being at Pocono when he won, when they won that race, and that was the first race he had won in over in two years. And everybody was losing their crap, you know, when Truex won that race. And it was one of the biggest wins of the year, and it was amazing. And I always think that momentum and that thing that went and how it went for these last few years, they were on this, like, ride. And they probably, it makes it sad that they didn't get at least one more championship. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's ever coming back. I hope he does. I hope he's able to contribute in TV somehow because he's a sharp guy. Losing a mind like that is a big loss to the sport, really, in general. And there was a lot of speculation as to why he left. And at the end of the day, you know, you respect the fact that he wants to spend some time with his family. But, you know, I think the bigger impact is that to me, is what's next for Martin Truex Jr.? I mean, I was kind of surprised, and, and I don't mean to harp on Cole Pern and say it was bad timing, but to me, if this decision's made, it's made before Thanksgiving. Um, I was kind of surprised by the timing of it, and especially surprised that only 10 days ago, you know, Martin Truex Jr. only found out the night before it was announced. Uh, and so I was like, wow, when I when I read that. I'm like, you know, you think Truex maybe was holding it, and you know, that whole time we, we were at the we saw him at the banquet and everybody at the banquet, you know, Cole Martin Tricks Jr. thought Cole Pern was gonna be his crew chief for next year. And then all of a sudden, you know, he called him Sunday night, the eighth of December and said, Hey, you know what? I'm I'm thinking about stepping out. I'm sure Martin was respectful about it and says, Hey, I understand what you're doing, but deep down was like, Man, that's gonna that stinks and then Monday night or Tuesday night we found out about it. So 
I was kind of surprised by the timing of it, especially because, you know, like I said, we're almost a week, two weeks after Thanksgiving where it was kind of like, hmm, you know, are we building cars for 2020 already? So that that kind of was the only thing that kind of made me scratch my head a little bit, especially because the first week or two of the off season there, there were some crew troops who had a pretty good resume who were picked up by other organizations. So, um, you know, now all of a sudden, and, and Joe Gibbs likes to breed from in-house anyway, so I'm not sure they would have gone off and grabbed somebody from there, but you never know. Um, so that means my next point, Philip. We were talking this a little bit about off on. Yeah, we were talking about this off air a little bit as well as who's who's going to be the crew chief. You know, um, you look at the Xfinity Series. Jeff Mendering's there. He's been there a while. Ben bashore has been there. Uh, also, they got Dave Rogers who came back and was going to be a crew chief this year in the Xfinity Series. He's got ton of Cup experience. He's been with Denny Hamlin. He's been with Carl Edwards. He's been with Kyle Busch now. Do they want to bring him up again and bring up with a, a fourth driver for Dave Rogers? That remains to be seen, but he's got some experience, and, and he's won some races in the Cup Series. Where do you think they go here, uh, Joker's Racing, for this 19 car? Yeah, I think the way that because of the lack of experience they have in the Xfinity Series, I believe that Rogers is going to be uh, left uh, where he is, I think the shore is with Riley Herb, which it doesn't really matter who his crew chief is. He's terrible. And then, um, I mean, the 20 car, uh, I don't know who, um, or who, Har- I think Harrison's in the 18 or, or 20. And, uh, the, and Riley Herbst is in the, the 18, and then they, they have the 19 with Mandarin with Brandon Johnson. Doesn't really count either. Um, we were talking about it. I had to look up the name. I were talking about it off there. I think uh, the car chief, the longtime car chief, uh, probably, I think, since 15. If not, then somebody will probably tell us anyway. Uh, Blake Harris, uh, I think, would be the guy uh, if they want continuity. They want to keep that whole the, the group together. I think it would be the best idea. It's a voice he knows. Martin knows. He's comfortable with them. Uh, for other people, if you're deep diving on Blake Harris, he's the husband of uh, Fox NASCAR um, host, Caitlin Vinci. So uh, he's the car chief for the 19 car. I honestly believe that's the move. Um, they haven't announced it yet, but I feel like that's what they'll do. I don't think you're going to go extreme. You're not going to go outside, like you said. They're not going to get an Xfinity crew chief when you consider the general lack of experience that they have. They have way more experience at Kyle Busch's shop with his crew chief than they have, or with the drivers relative to the crew chief, than they do in the Xfinity shop. And so they need to figure out ways to not wreck race cars uh, on the Xfinity side. I think, the, to me, Blake Harris is the answer. I don't really know what other answer there may be. Um, they may pull something out in January when they do the uh, press tour, but uh, I think that's the start and the end of it because for Truex and for that group, for as long as they're allowed to be there, um, they want to keep that, you know, that 78, you know, furniture row feel um, going. And uh, I think that's the way to do it. Keep Blake Harris in there. Just move him up a spot. Go and bring everybody up and keep it the way it is so that there won't be as much of a transition. They'll be able to keep things the way they need to so Martin can continue to compete at the level he has to start at 2015. Yeah, again, I, you know, I'm going to say, you know, I think Dave Rogers is a, very, is a big option here too. Dave's got 18 wins in the Cup Series. And if you remember – he had a very, very good year with Carl Edwards in 2016 before Carl yep. kind of abruptly decided to retire, and then they pushed up Scott Graves to that 19 team with Daniel Suarez to sort of keep the um, you know mojo between those two going, and it never really worked out. And Rogers sort of reti- wanted to be off the road, but you know, now he's coming back in the crew chief role where I think he thought almost like a Jason Ratcliffe situation where if a young kid can get up there and – run very good under his tutelage, they will move him up to the Cup Series naturally. So yet here we are uh, with an opportunity for – I think 
Dave Rogers to go back into the 19 car where he was four years ago and say, I'm going to lead this team again. I think that's a guy I look at. But I do think uh, Blake Harris, as you said, is another guy. Um, really, I think it's, I expect somebody to be in-house. I'd be really surprised. I don't know who's even out there right now as a big-name crew chief that they would bring in um, from the outside that they would bring into this 19 team. So I'm sure they're, they're working that out. I'm sure Martin had a big say in what um, and who, who the crew chief's going to be. Uh, but for sure, it's going to be wild to see how it affects his career and how it affects this 19 team moving forward. Real quick, Philip, and I want to just touch on this because this is a subject that, um, you know, it ran through my mind, and I'm not saying this is why – I want to make this clear. I'm not saying this is why Cole Turn left NASCAR. But you brought up a, a great point where it's sad to see a mind like Cole Turn leave NASCAR. I can't agree with, with you more on that. Um, you know, somebody who's so intelligent and can bring so much to NASCAR, it's tough to see him leave this sport. My fear is with NASCAR in these next couple of years here, with the rumors are that this 2021 car is going to be, you know, a, a standardized chassis. It's going to be pre-built, basically. Uh, it sort of takes the ingenuity out of it. it. It takes a lot of the crew chief work out of it. Um, are you afraid that this could be sort of a trend here where we see a lot of smart people in this sport leave the next two or three years because maybe they're um, – you know, the potential isn't really being found because they're not, they can't build race cars anymore. Just real quick, what are your thoughts on that? Short answer, yes. Uh, there's, I don't, if they don't shorten the schedule, if they don't make it more about mechanical grip, this race car, uh, you know, put more adjustability into it and allow the crew chiefs to actually dictate you know, calls and decisions if the tires are going to continue to be absolute trash. Uh, There's so many pieces to this. But people like Cole Pern are getting held back. Uh, You know, granted, we could talk about how who gets nailed at inspections and who is getting nailed more in inspection than the 19 car, you know, like back in in the heyday for Jimmy and Chad and Chad. He's that's why. Like that's the reason why Hendrick wanted him. He's that good. You know, he's top five all time crew chief level good. And he was willing and the fact is, you know, Hendrick would have probably flown him back home to Canada every week, two days a week, and said, Okay, come back on Thursday or whatever and and, and or we'll fly you back on Thursday afternoon or whatever to go and prep and then send the car off or however it is. I think the, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, the spec aspect of the this, this Gen 7 car is going to take away the mind, uh, and it's going to allow some of the seller-dweller types and, you know, the big teams to kind of over-manufacture and do whatever they have to do to continue their power, and then the seller-dweller types are going to pick up the pieces and do what they're going to do. And then there is really isn't going to be a middle one. That's what's going to, what I'm afraid of. And people like Holter, uh won't be around. They'll be on TV. Yeah, I, that, I think that's a legit concern. I really do uh, in this day and age. And we'll see how it affects the sport moving forward. But just something I wanted to kind of discuss. You know, it was in my one of my initial thoughts was maybe well maybe that had something to do with it, but obviously when Cole came out and gave his explanation, uh, that certainly wasn't the case. Now in seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here talking circles, Clayton Caldwell, Philip Matthew here. If you want to join the show tonight, uh, another Cup Series news that came out over the last week or so was Front Row Motorsports' driver and lineup. It was announced that uh, John Hunter Nemechek will dr- run for the Rookie of the Year title next season, uh, driving the number thirty eight Ford. And Michael McDowell returns to the number 34 Ford next season. Um, John Hunter basically replaced Matt Tift, who was in the 36, if you remember, last year. And Tift and front row basically mutually agreed to part ways after Tift had medical issues where he had to be out of the race car. Uh, Michael McDowell returns. There was some talk that maybe Corla Joy or Daniel Suarez would return to that, would would stay in the Ford camp and drive one of those cars. Um LaJoy stayed at the 32, and, and it looks like uh, Suarez is going to go to a Toyota team. So a two-car operation, Front Row Motorsports moves back to two cars after three cars. Still not sure what's going on 
with that third charter for that organization. Um, Drew Blickensdurfer is back as a crew chief of the 34. Also back is Seth Barber as a crew chief of the number 38 Ford. Mike Kelly, who was a crew chief of the 36 and then 38 with David Reagan at the end of the year, uh, he, w- he has now become the car chief over there at JTG Daughtery Racing in the 47 with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, what do you expect from Front Row Motorsports this year? And really, John Hunter Nemechek, uh, a kid that a lot of people thought would is going to be a, a lot of people still think is going to be a future of this sport. Uh, kind of a curious ride, a little bit of a, of a different, um, I guess, path to the Cup Series he's trying to take here. And uh, you know, when you don't have a ton of funding, I guess that's the option. But what are your thoughts on John Hunter Nemechek and Michael McDowell's uh, expectations for the 2020 season? I think the the first piece is I the the going and going back to two cars is going to be a immediate uh, plus. I think they spread themselves too thin. Uh, Bob Jenkins in that group trying to get Matt and taking his money uh, to try to run the three cars. Uh, I know you're David Reagan diehard, and the fact is they stress. The, the biggest highlight, I think, that came out of the whole year was Michael McDowell getting his butt whipped by Daniel Suarez on pit road. Uh, that was the highlight of front row year uh, in 2019. And there really wasn't a whole lot on the racetrack. But John Hunter Nemechek in limited starts did relatively well. He did above, well above what Matt Pitt was doing in his car. He was beating his teammates. He was running relatively well. Uh, we talk about there are no middle. There's going to be no middle anymore. Well, the one teams like Front Row can go and maintain that, or they can build towards a possibility. And with Ford, the way that we're going to talk about here, they're trying to build a path. And somebody like John Hunter Nemechek, he didn't have options in Xfinity anymore because GMS was fully invested in the truck series. I thought Saints that was going to the Xfinity car and another truck. So GMS was fully invested in the truck series or out of the Xfinity series. So he had no Xfinity option. Um, he had done well enough because he had outperformed guys who had been in the Cup series for many years in with limited practice, limited time. And John Hunter Nemechek, in terms of raw talent, I think, in, in the sport right now, he's one of the best uh, young uh, raw talents there is. And Bob Jenkins, it's the kind of dice roll he should be taking. It's the thing that he should have kept, you know, landing Castle. Uh, you know, I know he loses. You go and lose Chris Busher, I kind of get that. Uh, landing Castle, I kind of get him losing landing Castle because of the kind of talent he has where he went, you know, whatever, we'll get into semantics. But you that a couple of years ago you had those two guys and I think they had some good runs, you know, you know, Randy Castle at Bristol, Busher wins a Pocono. Front row motorsports look like a team on the rise and everything is good place. Then he goes back to the veteran retread kind of guy. Uh, you know, you need when you're a team like Front Row Motorsports, you need to have a young guy. You need to have a veteran type. Now, Michael McDowell, outside of the road courses and a couple other racetracks, super speedways, maybe a couple short, maybe the short track, is whatever. I think it's the same thing with Dave Reagan. Dave Reagan wanted to get off the road. Um, but he's at least one in the Cup Series, one Xfinity Series. Michael McDowell's one Xfinity Series, but he's a road racer. Uh, I think they wanted to get Corey LaJoy or they wanted to get Suarez. That wasn't an option. They went back to McDriver. He's a really nice guy, solid too. Uh, but I think their potential and what they're trying to do is going to start with John Hunter. And I think they're trying to build there. Um, if they invest in Ford uh, with the Ford program and see how this path is going with David Gilwin, then I think there's a possibility that Front Row can really be a bridge to, you know, the the top, you know, for Ford to go and increase and build themselves up because they've been guilty of failing and losing out on 
the likes of Jeff Gordon and Kyle Busch and if you go to Kurt Busch even and a few other young guns that have gone through the, the path. And I think Ford, unlike other manufacturers, is trying to really keep them. So if, if uh, Bob Jenkins is capable of staying in the sport with the way the costs are running and whatever, and with the way he has it set up, starting with John Hunter, you know, there might be a chance. Seth Barber's a really good uh, underrated crew chief, and uh, I think there's the potential there uh, on and off during the year to show some things. There's going to be some crashes. There's going to be, there's gonna be, a, there's gonna be some rec race cars next year for the 38. But they wreck race cars anyway. So in the end, if you're wrecking race cars trying to run for 20th versus 30th, it is what it is. Yeah. Listen, uh, Front Row is an interesting team because they, they could obviously align with an organization like you've seen with Furniture Racing. But they don't want to ha- have what happened to Furniture Racing happen to them. They also kind of want to do it the hard way, build their own chassis, um, and really – go about it that way, and uh, it's been a long road. They're a lot better than where they were five years ago, but, you know, it's baby steps they got to take, and last year they took a step back. There's no question about it. Um, Reagan struggled. Uh, McDowell struggled at times, and, and so did Matt Tift, and it was just, I think, three got them a little bit. They weren't really ready for it. I think they sold Matt Tift. He was a guy who brought in some additional funding, and they said, hey, you know what? Uh, an opportunity to you know, bring in a third car, let's do it. And it backfired on him a little bit. So we'll see how they do it. I like John Hunter taking this ride. It gets him a full-time ride. It gets his feet, uh, you know, gets his feet wet into the Cup Series and, and really learns how to drive these race cars, learn these racetracks um, even more. And, and, you know, it was funny because when initially when Jamie McMurray was going to be out of the one, a lot of people discussed John Hunter as a guy who was going to take over that ride. And I felt like he wasn't, 100% ready for that ride at that point, um, and I got called a hater, and people were like, "You're out of your, you're out of your mind," you know. And I like John Hunter, I really do. I think he's a really talented race car driver. But to me, this is the best thing he can do for his career: just learn how to drive cars. Um, and you know, he'll be better off for it when he gets an opportunity. Look at Chastain. Chastain took a long time, and we know when he gets into a big ride uh, this year in the Xfinity Series, he's a championship contender. When he gets into a big riding cup, he's going to be ready for it because he's got a ton of experience under his belt, and I think that John Hunter Nemechek is going to be the same way. An extremely talented race car driver who needs a little bit more seasoning, but he's he's a lot closer to being ready for a big-time cup ride than he was two years ago. There is not a question about that. 917-889-8280. News of the week here this week, Philip, and really news of the day, I guess, was the Haley Deegan going to Ford. From Toyota, um, obviously, you know, it's, she's going to run an ARCA races next season, so she's still a few years away. Uh, a couple of reports had her. She said, basically, ideally, if I run two years in trucks and then two years in Xfinity, uh, I'll be ready for the Cup Series. That puts her in the Cup Series at the earliest at 2025. Now, I don't like when people have a set map like that. To me, you move up when you're ready. Uh whether that's one year or whether that's four years, to be able to look to the next when you're ready, when you're winning races and you're proving yourself. Um, so I'm, I've, I've been consistent with that. I was consistent that when Ty Dillon wanted to do it a few years ago. You have to sit there and prove to me that you can run at the next level. You just don't sit there and go, oh, two years, I'm ready. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, uh, kind of a big deal here because this is a, a young lady who gets a lot of um, publicity. Uh, she's a she's won some West races last season and the year before, uh, and a kind of a big get for Ford here in the development program, which we haven't really seen a whole lot of movement from there. Surely had Chase Briscoe who returns to Stuart Haas. We'll discuss that in a little bit. Um, and they had that, that three, that three driver car last year, but they haven't really had moved the needle as far as development is concerned. Now they are seem like to be doing that. DGR, D, uh, David Gilman racing, announced that they're moving to Ford next season. They're sort of going to be their development team in the truck series. Um, and Deegan is just another, you know, sign of, of, of Ford really um, putting some money into the development program. What are your thoughts on that? And is this the right move for her career? I mean, we've seen people leave Toyota in the past, William Byron, Kyle Larson, etc. Uh, but they sort of did it later on in their career, not this early. 
Uh, are you at all concerned about how this is going to affect her career, and what are your thoughts on Haley Deegan moving to Ford in general? The, I mean, the immediate thought, not, you know, taking Barstool Sports and the people that seem to comment over there. The, re, the, the thing about Haley Deegan, you know, her dad, Brian, is a freaking moto, moto X legend, and once he got to four wheels, uh, a lot of his vehicles driving off-road trucks and in rally cross and the like were Ford. She's a pretty girl. Uh, lots of men are interested in her because of that. Um, minus her annoying voice, if she gets her dad kind of forever. The fact of the matter is, she's a marketable. She's fast. She's aggressive. She wants to do well. Uh, unlike certain female drivers that were in NASCAR for a long period of time, and uh, liked the publicity, uh, but didn't show it on the racetrack both last year and before that. Uh, Haley wants to do well, and uh, Haley wants to be a contender. And she's from California, so there's like a whole mini. We're talking about Gordon and Johnson, you know, going all the way back to me as a fan of Bernie Irvin, and, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for Haley, her mom and dad are, are a big part, and they're they're directing the field. And in a sense, going to DGR Crosley, David Gillen sees his his role in in NASCAR. He didn't get to win a Cup race. He had the I think if he was a crew chief, he'd be a Cup series he'd be a Cup series winner or champion kind of crew chief. Driving wise, he wasn't as good as his dad. And you can make a case he isn't as good as his son. And his son's probably going to be driving for him next year. Tanner Gray. Uh, that was announced uh, today that Tanner Gray is going to be driving full-time. former NHRA post-doc champion uh, will be driving full-time for a DGR called the Truck Series. So going to this whole team, now they're going to Ford, they're going to be that first rock handling the the the, the, what do you call the East and West, which is the Arca Menard East and West, uh, and just handling the overall Arca series, Urgent or whatever. Uh, Haley's going to run the full season next year. Uh, I think she'll be a contender for sure. I mean, because really, what is, what, what is, uh, I don't know what Venturini's going to be putting out there. You, and DGR Causey had fast cars last the uh, last few years when MDM was there and with Toyota. So she's going to, she, she wants to take her time and build herself up. There. If she takes off and becomes this like, you know, hot shot, like the way William Byron was, then I'm sure she's going to get accelerated up and FHR or Roush or, you know, or whatever other four, you know, Penske's probably going to have a ride, you know, for her. But I respect the the fact that she's going about it this way. She's realistic about it. She's trying to work herself up to that. Unlike other other female race car drivers, she wants to show that she belongs. Yes, she's had to go and use the chrome horn to go and win races. But at the end of the day, she can win races. And if she had run a full season in the West, I think she'd have had a real chance to beat Derek Krause. So it's good for her because Ford has a plan. She has a plan and Ford has a plan. And they have a line that's going to go all the way up the top. And for her, she's going to take her time. And once she's in her 20s, she'll be hopefully mature and ready to go. Uh, for DGR Crosby, it's a great move, too, because they can kind of sort of align with the source sport group and kind of unite against Kyle Busch Motorsports and Halmar, where they're going to run the Toyota. So it's going to be Ford versus Toyota. And then you have GMS with Chevy. So the truck series is going to be really interesting with DGR Crosby. Uh, but for Haley Dean, I think it's a great move for her. Uh, there wasn't really a path where 
she was going to end up in a Gibbs Cup car for a long time anyway. And and I think Ford has more options, and Ford has a connection mm-hmm. though, with the family. The only problem with Ford is, and, and I think this is something that can be fixed by the time Haley gets to uh, where the Xfinity Series, if she gets there entirely, they don't really have an Xfinity Series team. I mean, they got Stuart House Racing, but we saw that team go from two teams to one team this year with Chase Briscoe in that 98 team, which we're going to discuss here in a little bit, uh, sticking around. And then they got um, the Team Penske 22 car with Lawson Sindrick in it. And so, you know, they only got two real competitive Ford teams right now in that Xfinity Series, so that could create a little bit of a logjam. Maybe Ford is working on that here and or at least trying to figure out a plan here in the next couple of years. Maybe Rash will come back with a team. Who knows? That's the only big problem I see down the road maybe for her in her development. But, again, to me the book is still out on her. Um, she West Series is a completely different, uh, completely different competition than the East Series. You know, we've seen a lot of drivers come from the West – who dominate, go to the East, and they don't even look like they belong in a race car. Um, you know, and uh, I like the fact that it seems like they understand that, that she needs to develop. I think that's a smart move because we saw what Danica Patrick, to me, she needed at least two more years in Xfinity before she went to Cup, but she had this pressure from GoDaddy to get to the highest form of stock car racing, and I think ultimately it bit her. Um, and... I think Ford's coming to this. I don't know if it's Ford's camp or, or Haley Deegan's camp saying, listen, we, we understand this is going to take a little while, um, four, four or five years. That's smart. But, again, the book is still out on her to me uh, as far as whether or not she's going to be the next NASCAR superstar. But, listen, she's in a good opportunity, I think. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch her progress here through the 2020 season. Um, we talked about Chase Briscoe a little earlier. We've mentioned him a few times on this show. He will return to Stuart Haas Racing uh, this was a report by Dustin Albino in FrontStretch.com for the 2020 season. He'll drive the 98 car for uh, Stuart Haas and Bessie Racing, whatever you want to call that team, um, next season. And, you know, I guess my question to you is, Philip, uh, is he the favorite to win the championship in that series? I mean, the Xfinity Series, they, I feel like they've lost a few competitive drivers. they got a lot of young kids that Joe Gibbs Racing this year. Um, in 2020, you know, we lost Reddick, who might not be replaced full, with a full-time driver. We've lost Bell, who, again, was replaced by a young kid. And you lose Custer in, in that ride entirely. So uh, it gives these guys, like I think Ross Chastain immediately comes to mind. Now Chase Briscoe, uh, so an opportunity to really show themselves. Is Briscoe the favorite in your mind to win this Xfinity Series championship? What are your thoughts? As as a personal, you know, personal side being a fan of Chase Briscoe for a while, uh, number one, I'm just glad he has a job because the way things have been going, uh, it was tight for a while. So the fact that he's going to have a job, I didn't know whether it was going to be a It's a positive. Uh, if they're keeping this whole group together that he's had from this past year, then I, I mean, the short answer is, yeah, oh, yeah, he's the guy, he was fifth in points. If if it weren't for freaking Garrett Smithley, he would have been in the final four to won the freaking championship. More than likely, he'd have had a real chance to win the championship. Uh, you know, so he is a favorite right now. Of course, Ross Chastain's there. You have Justin Haley. You have a few other pieces there. You have Gibbs, who's always going to contend no matter what, uh, because of Toyota. There, there. We don't know what the full layout of this is. We're not going to know. And for a month from now, we're probably going to get the show on both the Xfinity and Truck Series because a lot of this stuff has been fleshed out. Cup Series is basically there, but. Xfinity and trucks wait until probably days before Daytona before we really get there. But the immediate answer is Chase Briscoe having a chance in a second full year in Stuart Haas equipment, knowing that, you know, what, what is his name, freaking Cole Custer, who was 
kind of nowhere uh, in one year, went and became, won seven races, was a contender to win a championship, and is now a rookie in the Cup Series. And to be completely honest, I think Chase Briscoe is a way better driver than him. And I think Tony Stewart sees a lot in Chase Briscoe for multiple reasons, and Ford does. Uh, it's to their benefit if they go and make sure that they give them the support necessary to go and follow through and uh, get that championship. Uh, that's going to be the goal. I uh, wouldn't think they'd be fund, fully funding an Xfinity car if they didn't think they could win the championship. I think he's the guy right now, early. Early returns would be that. And bias aside, I mean, he, he's probably... Uh, the outsider off casting, I think the best driver in that series that declared for the championship. Uh, so, yeah. Agreed. It's going to be uh, interesting to see Chase Briscoe's 2020 season. Uh, I like I like Chase Briscoe a lot. I'm happy to see him have a ride. Like you mentioned early uh, in your thoughts there that it was kind of looking a little bit muddy there for a second that Briscoe might not return to that ride, but they get everything locked down there that they needed to get locked down, and uh, it's a good thing because he seems to have a really a, a ton of skills. I think he really what I like about young what his season last year, and, and I'm not saying he was a championship contender from any by any circumstance, but I like the fact that you saw some improvement from him in his team um, from the begin from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. I thought he grew a lot, and that was a major major um, step in the right direction for him. And, uh, you know, I think he can continue to grow and continue to um, get himself into that conversation of, hey, we're, you know, maybe 2022 or 2023, where's Chase Briscoe going to go to the Cup Series? This kid's got to get in a Cup ride. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see. I think another guy that could be in that conversation in a few years is Ty Majeski. Philip, a lot, of, a lot of people are high on him, myself included. Um, I think he's a great short track driver. Pretty much uh, a couple of weeks ago, had pretty much – was a dominant car there at the Snowball Derby yeah, before yeah. getting in a late race accident. Um, but he's going to be driving the number 45 truck next season at Nice Motorsports, um, the same truck that Ross Chastain helped drive into the, to the playoffs in the championship race last season. Now, the only thing that concerns me about this ride is they haven't announced a crew chief yet, which was Phil Gould, who was a crew chief, came from the Xfinity Series at Rash Fenway, Phil Gould, last year. Um and, and crew chief that 45 truck, they got Majeski, who's a hell of a race car driver, and a young driver who I think has got a big future. Um, they're going to need a good crew chief to pair with him, and I'm a little concerned that Gold, who had a really good year in that truck last year, might not be there. But I think he's a guy who could be a sleeper here and contend for some wins in this 45 truck. What are your expectations for Tom Majeski in these motorsports? Yeah, I mean, for Ty Majeski, he was part of that three-driver four deal that you talked about earlier, uh, you know, with, with uh, what's his face, Cindric, who's got daddy's uh, control, so it doesn't really matter who's going to be the SP car. And then you have Chase Briscoe, who has no money, but from Indiana, and he's with Tony Stewart, Mark, and he has a ton of talent, and Ty Majeski is one of the best. Uh, super late model, late model drivers has been for a long time. I racing Mark as well. Getting into that Nice Motorsports equipment and going from Ford to Chevy, you know, kind of Nice ad, but the you know going to one of the best trucks. I don't know. It, I kind of question where the GMS, you know, because GMS now lost uh, the 52 team to Toyota, and now they're fielding four full-time trucks uh, next year uh, with the additions of um, Ankrum and uh, Zane Smith. I don't know what the kind, what kind of equipment uh, Nice is going to have. I hope it'll be, you know, same level. Because Simon Jeske is the kind of guy that could go out there and win the championship if he has the right team there. If Phil Gould was there and that was a guarantee that you're talking about, I would he'd be the favorite to me. Not, you know, not Matt Grafton, not, you know, uh, uh, Brett Moffitt, you know, insert name here. I would pick 
time adjustment. Because the fact is, when the 45 was on last year, they were above and beyond by far the best team in the truck series with Ross Chastain and Kobe. They dominated it. It was no, it was no discussion, no problem. Uh, if they can keep that old, if they can keep that group together, Time of Death was able to race with them during the season last year, get a kind of a feel of the team, did well in his limited appearances. Um, he's he's a guy that he can make that playoff. And the fact is, a truck series playoff is the best setup. You have. I don't know, you're going to end up having like about 14 to 16 trucks. As it stands right now, a raw number off of my head, top of my head, is at least 12 uh, that are going to contend for eight spots, which means every race matters. Now, of course, Kyle Busch is going to come in and win five races, ruin it for other people, but he owns the team, so it's his choice. Uh, but there's the to make the playoffs in the truck series. I thought it was tough this this year in 2019. It's going to be even tougher in 2020 uh, with the level of talent uh, and focus and investment that there is in all three manufacturers that are involved in the series. High Majestic uh, has the potential and the talent to get there. So probably in a couple of races uh, to make sure he's Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy you know there's a few crew chiefs out there in the truck series who uh were in good ride good that did a good job one of and, and it's kind of up in the air as far as their um 2020 plans go i mentioned phil gould earlier also jerry baxter now baxter was at gms racing he's a long time crew chief he's been in this sport for a long long time maybe he goes there to that 45 team i don't know but um i'll say this i think it's going to be uh very key as far as who they hire as a crew chief for that team. I hope it's somebody that uh, can get the job done for sure um, because, I, like you said, Majeski to me, he's he's a guy who I think can win a ton of races. He's uh, a very, very talented driver and you know we've seen him on the short tracks of, of America do really well and he just needs that opportunity. I felt like he needed that opportunity. To me, that 60 car wasn't really the best situation. They sort of, I think, threw it together kind of late and Said all with three drivers, it was sort of a mess. Um, but this is a good opportunity for Majeski here in a truck series. Hopefully, he can run for the championship. But you're right about the truck series; it's gonna be insane next season. Uh, anybody who sits there and tells you that these truck series isn't gonna be uh, the the best series in NASCAR next year, they're full of themselves. I mean, you're gonna you could easily have I think 15 trucks competing for a championship next year, uh, competing for wins on a, on a weekly basis. It's gonna be ab Absolutely wild. It's going to be awesome to be a part of. I can't wait for the truck series to get started at Daytona here in the next couple of months. Um, also, Philip, speaking of Daytona, you know, we it's funny because we're 52 days away from – we're 60 days away from the Daytona 500. That puts us, excuse me, at 53 days away from Daytona 500 qualifying and the Bush Clash. It feels good to say that again. Uh, as they announced yeah. that Bush will take over sponsorship of the of – the, Expedition race, expedition race before the Daytona 500, which was formerly known as the Bush Clash, the Bud Shootout. Um, now it'll be recalled the Bush Clash, which is awesome to hear. But something interesting for the Daytona 500 that we haven't really seen in a while is an IndyCar presence. And I don't mean somebody who's trying to come at NASCAR and make a full-time go of it, which was Danica Patrick, but an, or you know Patrick Carpentier or um, Dario Franchitti all trying to make a full-time deal with this NASCAR thing. Uh, James Davison sounds like he's going to have a ride for the Daytona 500. Not a lot behind it yet, as far as where he's going to go, what car he's going to drive. Um, you know, if he's going to be locked into that ride, I'm not sure. There's still a lot of things to, to be worked out there. But what were your initial thoughts when you saw this? This is an interesting deal to me because um, he's a guy who, like I said, he's sort of a, an IndyCar guy just coming to run out Daytona on a one-off deal. Uh, because he wants to have some fun with it. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how he's going to do here uh, if he gets a competitive race car. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the Bird family, Jonathan Bird, the late Jonathan Bird, uh, Jonathan Bird cafeteria is going back to the early, early 90s, late 80s. 
sponsored one-offs like the Indianapolis 500 for the likes of Stan Fox. Uh, he was involved with John Andretti's double, the first double during Memorial Day uh, for the Indianapolis 500 Oklahoma 600. Uh, he ran for, I think, Voight in the Indy 500 and got a top 10 finish in the struggle uh, in the 600. Uh, the the Borg family has been involved in racing for years, many, many years. And James Davison's become a piece of that, the Australian driver. Um, his brother drives in the CPA supercars. Uh, there's James has been around all over the place in Europe, in Australia, and been here, driven sports cars, driven open wheels, driven in stock cars. And he usually goes and runs the Indianapolis 500 with the Bird family. And now they've figured out a way to kind of combine the two, the way that Danica did on her walk-off. But I, unlike Danica, I think, you know, James Davison really wants to do best he can. It'll be the first time I can think of since Alan's junior after winning the Indianapolis 592 uh, coming to Daytona and trying to run the 500, and then Dale Earnhardt went and used them up twice, both in the qualifying race and in the 500 itself. Or he got wrecked in the qualifying race, and then Dale Earnhardt used them up in the race, whatever it is. It's, you know, how many years it's been. Maybe I can go and collect myself later, and we'll go and take care of it in a couple of weeks. So, but the, for Davison, he's a really, really talented guy. Hopefully he gets the car. Hopefully, a locked-in car. I don't think it really matters when you consider that the 500, when it used to be 70 cars, 60 cars. I think there was 43 for 40 last year. So I figure because there's not all 36 charters are granted or guaranteed yet, there's a high likelihood that uh, Davidson will be in a in a chartered car, and even if he isn't, I think he could be one of the two cars that makes it in through the 150. Um, it'll be cool. It'll be first Aussie since uh, Marcus Ambrose, who's one of my personal favorite drivers in general, long before he ever became an NASCAR driver. Uh, it'll be cool to see him. It brings a different flavor. It brings a guy who has a wide range of experience. Uh, into the Daytona 500, Fox won't cover it, uh, but it's a cool story. And uh, I'm sure that depending on what kind of car he's in, he could probably get the top 25 at worst, uh, and probably could get even better considering half the cars wrecked during the 500 anyway. So he might get a top 20 finish. So it's going to be interesting to see. Well, you mentioned because I think you're right about that as far as Alan Jr. is concerned. That might be the only time, the last time we saw a indie regular come over here for a one-off and do the Daytona 500. And Al Jr., after he got wrecked, was like, oh, I'll be back, and never came back. Um, so, you know, I, again, I'm, I like it. I like the uh, the challenge. I, I, hope, I really hope he's in a good car. It would be really fun to see somebody from a different uh, aspect of racing who doesn't really have a ton of stock car experience coming over to um, – the stock car ranks and starting to see how he does against these big NASCAR guys in a place that in a, in a race, the biggest racetrack of them all, the biggest race of them all in a place that they can, um, you know, really shine. Um, and I'm fascinated to see how he does. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I don't mean to, to rush this, but something else I want to get on before we get out tonight is the death of, of racer and safety pioneer, Bill Simpson. Um, you know, it's funny – not funny, but it's its something that – I always say this about people when they pass. You know, you can always tell whether somebody was a really good guy by what people say about them. Uh, and, it, you know, obviously there's always going to be the respect of people saying, oh, you know, I'm going to miss the news. But Bill Simpson, with what people said about him, Rusty Wallace had a really couple – really nice tweets about him. 
Rick Mass. I know I retweeted one on Talking Circles. Had a real good tweet about him. Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. Listen to the names. Mario Andretti, all calling him Kurt Busch, all calling him, quote-unquote, their friend, and that the sport and auto racing in general would be completely different if it wasn't for Bill Simpson. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm going to bring this up, but that's why um, in 2001 when Earnhardt got killed and NASCAR sort of uh, didn't do him any favors there after that accident, I was so infuriated because I felt like he gave his life to the sport, was always coming up with innovation, innovative stuff to keep drivers safe, and they sort of threw him under the bus a little bit. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on Bill Simpson there, Philip, and, and uh, just the impact he had in motorsports in general as we lost him uh, Friday night, who died Monday, excuse me, after suffering a massive stroke on Friday at the age of 79. What are your thoughts? I mean, he's a legend. Uh, he's an icon. There are hundreds and hundreds of racers uh, across multiple categories that wouldn't be here. Uh, if it weren't for the innovation that Bill Simpson uh, came up with, whether it's parachutes, whether it's the fire suits, whether it's been with the, you know, it, the list goes on and on. Uh, you can even extend it out in terms of his ability to go and scout talent. He's the guy who brought Rick Mears to Indianapolis. We know what he is. So, I mean, the, and you have Jeff Gordon, you have Tony Stewart, yeah. I mean, the amount of love and respect and care and the, the sadness that exists. Safety, NASCAR like to pass the buck in terms of their inability to um, keep drivers safe, and uh, they threw Bill Simpson under the bus when it came to the Earnhardt death. Uh, but in truth, the fact is, if it weren't for Bill Simpson, probably Dale Earnhardt would have gotten hurt way worse a long time before. Lots of other guys, too. Uh, the, he cared. He was willing to put himself on the line and take the time, and he wanted these guys to be here because there was a period of time where guys would die every other race. You think about in Formula One when guys would die half the guys that showed up at the first race of the year wouldn't make it to the last race. Like, that's the kind of craziness that existed uh, in sport. And the Mario Andretti's and the A.J. Foyt's and Parnelli Jones and, you know, David Pearson, Richard Petty, they're all here because of, in part, because of Bill Simpson. And, uh, it's a loss for motorsports. It's a loss for the world because you cared about people. To, to invest your life in something like, you know, say in this safety, to do what he did. I'm eternally grateful to Bill Simpson as a fan. Never met him. We'll never know him. But the fact is, there's, you know, if, if it weren't for some of the safety innovations he had, I don't know if Ernie Irvin would still be here. Enormous incident in Michigan. He should have been dead, but came back and he won races again. So I'm eternally grateful to Bill Simpson. There's been many avid wrecks that, if it weren't for the the head and the, 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 the belt, safety belt, and the you know, the fire suits, and, you know, he would have lost a lot more people in this sport, and we may not have this sport. Uh, so, I mean, Godspeed, Bill Simpson. Uh, there's a lot of guys that you know up there and probably having a lot of fun. So, you know, it's a loss for us down here. Yeah, it uh, certainly was a sad day on Monday when we lost uh, Bill Simpson, and uh, I'll, always be, I'll always remember him because... You know, everything when I was a kid growing up, everything safety-wise had Simpson on it. And I always said, man, that guy uh, must be doing something right if every single race team uh, has his stuff. And certainly, uh, even at the age of eight or nine, when I was a kid watching NASCAR, I could figure that out. Certainly, that was the case. And we'll be thinking about him um, 
not only next year and, and as these cars get fired up and get ready to go for next year, and uh, but for years and years to come because his impact on this sport will be for eternity. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. I want to thank Philip Matthew. Great job as always here on Talking Circles. And uh, we'll be back here next time. Stay tuned on our social pages, and we'll let you know when our next show is here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.